Welcome to the Drive Time Show. It's fantastic that you've joined us and been listening, I assume, throughout all of the programmes that we've been uh, showing, some live and some pre-recorded. And what a wonderful uh, programme uh, created and presented by the ladies before the Drive Time Show, which is a live show which happens every day, Monday to Friday, from 4pm till 6pm. My name is Hanif Khan and I'm here again on a Wednesday, and this time I'm joined by the regular presenter here on a Wednesday, uh, Anik Rahman Sahib. Listen, thanks for letting me join you today. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's a pleasure to having us here. <laughs> no, it's really good. And, uh, you know, Wednesday's not my normal slot, but I'm actually really looking forward to it, uh, Anik. We've got some two fantastic topics mm. that I really want to, us to delve into in a lot of detail. But, you know, as always, if you want to get in touch with us, you can. Uh, you can listen to us live on voiceofislam.co.uk. And it's a little play button in the top right-hand corner, which you can listen to wherever you are around the world, because many of our guests and our uh, listeners uh, stem across the globe for Voice of Islam uh, radio and also you can contact us in our normal social media platforms and I think you know what they are straight away yes you can uh, call us your tutor or through our email as well yeah. and uh, you know today we will be discussing the topics uh, very important topics today one would be Rwanda and uh, Hanif um, my co-presenter would yeah. definitely go in depth and discuss further <laughs> and in second I will be discussing the you know the most important topic you know, topic I should uh, you know I think, which is to purify our souls. Yeah. Because, you know, whatever is happening in the world, I think somehow it's connected with the soul. Because yeah. when the souls are purified, then, you know, the peace comes within, within the, uh, you know, world. Yeah. Anyways, let's, uh, you know, discuss the topic. The first topic which we have, we will be having some guests as well, yeah. uh, who will be discussing this topic in depth and in detail, that uh, giving us a true insight that what's happening uh, in regard, regarding Rwanda policy. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to speaking with Peter Walsh, who's a researcher at the Migration Observatory, and he's at the Research Institute at the University of Oxford. Mm. So I look forward to that. And then we'll also be speaking to Robert Evans, who is uh, a member of Surrey County Council as a councillor and also is a freelance lecturer and he will be able to explain a lot more on this Rwanda policy and is it fair and uh, we'll be talking to our other guests as well uh, both Marupis um, like like yourself Eric, who have dedicated their lives to the service of humanity and I think what you explained earlier that everything we do is so tuned in with our mm. soul Yep, so I look forward to speaking with Murabi Tahir Khalid Saab and Murabi Qasim Chaudhry all the way from the United States of America. So let's get into our subject. And obviously, if there's anything that you like or you um, stimulates the brain for a conversation, by all means, send in a tweet and uh, we'll read it out. And obviously, we're asking a question on our Instagram as well uh, related to our first topic about the Rwanda policy that's been implemented by the United Kingdom. And that is uh, sending asylum seekers to Rwanda. Simple question. Is it fair, yes or no? And we'll give you the results uh, to that uh, policy. So, um, Anik, why don't you just get straight into it? Because there was a decision made, wasn't there, on the 14th of April 2022 uh, by the yeah. UK government, wasn't it? So, you know, on 14th of April, yeah. as mentioned, 2022, the UK government officially announced a five-year trial uh, that is going to send people who arrive in the UK seek asylum to the uh, Republic of Rwanda. 
So last month on the 15th of December, as you know, high, the High Court ruled uh, that the government's Rwanda's plan is legal and claiming that the scheme does not breach the UN's Refugee Convention or Human Rights Law. According to the government website, from 1st January 2022, you will be considered for relocation to Rwanda if you make an illegal journey to the UK and have travelled through or have a connection to a safe country. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the people relocated to Rwanda will have their asylum claim processed there. And Rwanda will have full responsibility for them. And people who claims uh, for protection are rejected will either be offered the chance to stay in Rwanda or return to their home country. So they will be not returned to the UK once their claim have been decided by Rwanda. Yeah, I mean, that that's a very important thing. And that's the change. That mm. was the one of the challenges, wasn't it, about when you do that arduous, very dangerous, life-threatening journey, mm. you're probably, yeah. you're, you're seeking asylum because you're running away from either a war-torn or persecution yeah. or something. But then again, to come here and then be sent to another country. We know the history of mm. Rwanda, or, although... Uh, we know about the genocide. There's mm. some classic movies that you can watch to describe it, how the United Nations came in and, and managed to cr- stop the tribals uh, destroying themselves. Mm. So obviously that is what people have in their mindset about Rwanda. But we have seen through, I think, over the last d- decade or so where they've tried to improve. But that is the biggest fear. And True. has it or not? Um, so I think that that's really important. And obviously... I know the government was so worried that what they tried to do mm. was um, illegal, mm. and but actually, like you said, the High Court ruled that that, that it wasn't, mm. and the Rwanda plan was legal. But what it did do, and what it, I guess it provides a little bit of protection, mm. at least the the number of people that were being sent back home mm. based on that policy, actually, the reasons behind what they were being sent on sent back for didn't meet the criteria mm. so it was quashed so no plane mm. has left left for Rwanda uh, but it's costing taxpayers money True. over 130 million I mean, oh my god wouldn't that money be very useful to <laughs> our uh, with all the, the strikes that are going on and solving <laughs> a lot of those problems but that's a day for another uh, topic really but um, anyway you know the people who are sent to Rwanda and they have their asylum claims accessed by the Rwanda government People would not be able to go through the UK asylum process in another country and they would not be able to return to the UK. Instead, they will be given permission to live in Rwanda. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's really important. And then the other thing is with this, there, there then is no limit to the number of people who can be relocated to Rwanda. Because the worrying thing is that mm. you have family who live outside the country. I am a second-generation mm. immigrant um, in this country. My parents came in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. So I have... Um, have My children have children, so mm. they're like the third generation. But having this policy, you could have anyone who seems to be from an ethnic minority that mm. isn't, could potentially fall into this category, and that's the worrying thing. Mm. And you don't even know that if you're suddenly your citizenship has been revoked. There's no warning with this new policy. And mm. it's really worrying. 
true, you know. Uh, anything can happen in time, isn't it? That's what we are facing. That's what we are, yeah. you know, uh, it's been happening around us. And indeed, you know, as you were discussing, it's inhuman. A person is coming from the countries. They have been terrified. They were in difficulties. They had no mean. Uh, you know, they were entirely difficult, you know, impossible to live. That's why they left their countries. And coming especially from, you know, from France to here, I think you are just, you know, committing a suicide and you're just, you know, anything can happen. And I know personally somebody, you know, he yeah. came, who came and, <clears throat> you know, he arrived here uh, safely. And what happened, a lady came who was looking after that, uh, you know, uh, that person. He said, she said, you know, there were three boats. Your boat came safely, other two drowned in the water. So see, it was so difficult for them and, you know, there's a reason they are basically coming to this country. And again, if you're sending them to, you know, Rwanda and uh, of course they have to say the same difficulties because, again, you know, the, the country Rwanda, it's, you know, it's, it's not, you can say, it's, you know, uh, well-established. Still, there yeah. are things are happening and they are moving towards it. But sending them there, and again, they have to have the same life as they were living there, maybe slightly better than yeah. what they're having there. So it's, I think it's not fair for them to send them there. Yeah, um, and, and and this is not the only country. It's not unique mm. to the United Kingdom. I think they probably looked at Australia and thought, well, hey, you know, maybe we can do it as well. Because Australia has been forcibly sending boats of migrants back mm. forcibly since 2012 and ensuring that the asylum seekers never actually touch the land and and those who do make it to the shores are forcibly sent to Nauru or or Papua New Guinea mm, mm. and that's uh, been a permanent ban then on their kind of passports or whatever it's added that they can never ever return to Australia and reinforcing this mm. very extreme and punitive system. And, and this is what, you know, we in the United Kingdom don't really understand properly. Uh, but actually with our guest who's joining us mm. uh, now, uh, Peter Walsh, um, he is uh, a researcher at the Migration Observatory and a research institute at the University of Oxford. And it's really great to be able to have Peter with us um, on the Drive Time Show. Uh, thank you very much. Welcome to the Drive Time Show, uh, Professor Peter Watch. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Very kind of you. So we've been trying to understand this. We've, we've been talking from some of our personal experiences and uh, so really wanted to understand a little bit more uh, about this topic and get down to a little bit more detail because there's one very important question isn't it why Rwanda and when that decision was made to pick another country to which the <laughs> asylum seekers could be sent why would they select Rwanda I mean this is what we're trying to understand can you throw some light on that yeah that's a great question and, and the truth is it's not entirely clear you'll recall that a number of other destinations were proposed um, for example, Ascension Island in the South Atlantic Ocean, Albania, Ghana, Gibraltar. But those were either rejected as unviable, such as Ascension Island, or yeah. the leaders of those places rejected the policy. They said, we want no part to, be, to play in this. Now, it's possible that there may have been other destinations proposed and pursued that we don't know about. But what I suspect has been the case is that Rwanda was the only country out of a number that we approached 
that actually accepted. And it did have a higher chance of accepting the deal yeah. because Denmark had adopted a similar agreement with Rwanda. So I suspect really that's what's uh, Right, OK, yeah. I mean, you mentioned that Albania was one of them. Recently, we've been having more than 50% of people coming across the boat from Albania. Maybe they thought, maybe I'd just... Why get sent back to Albania? I don't know. But that is another story in itself as well. But there are all these critics and we spoke about it earlier as well. And I think uh, Anik mentioned it as well, who's going to be asking you some other questions as well, that this actually sounds very much like an authoritarian state, Rwanda, doesn't it? With of its extreme uh, levels of surveillance and also tortures and kind of like those murderers that can be considered to be its opponent. So the country in itself has been in turmoil. And we all know, and I mentioned it earlier, about the genocide that took place in Rwanda where the United Nations had to come in and there's been some very fantastic movies made about it. But is that a real legitimate concern for those that are being sent back over there or to there? Um, yeah, they are legitimate concerns. I mean, it's not clear that asylum seekers sent there would be treated poorly. But listen, I mean, it's concerning for anyone to be sent to a country with the human rights record that Rwanda has. I mean, Human Rights Watch, for example, it's documented the disappearance of several high-profile critics of the Kagame regime, suspicious deaths of government opponents, and it's compiled quite a lot of evidence that shows that things like arbitrary detention torture uh, in official and unofficial detention facilities is commonplace. Mm. So there are those very real concerns. And for asylum seekers specifically, I mean, the Home Office's own equality impact assessment of the Rwanda policy says there is a risk there in Rwanda of poor treatment of certain groups and singled out LGBT yeah. individuals. So those are some of the very real concerns that people have. Um, Peter, you know, under the D, Rwanda can also ask the UK to take in some of its most vulnerable refugees. What does this mean and who would fall under this category? Ah, that's a fantastic mm. question because uh, few people <clears throat> don't know about this part mm. of the agreement. Yeah. And at the moment, we don't have an answer to that question. I mean, nobody's been sent to the UK yet from Rwanda, as mm. far as I'm aware. But what is clear is that the numbers sent to the UK from Rwanda, they're likely to be small because Rwanda processes only a few hundred asylum claims each year. The UK processes um, around 15,000, has many tens of thousands of applications. But what we do know is anyone that comes to the UK from Rwanda, they are individuals who already have that full refugee set status. They've had their asylum claims granted, which is a little bit different to what's happening in the reverse direction, where actually we're sending asylum seekers who have not had a decision yet. Mm. You know, the judge presiding over the uh, decision on whether this scheme is lawful or not stated that it is, doesn't breach the UN's Refugee Convention or Human Rights Law. Uh, can you please briefly speak to the UN's Refugee Convention? What is it and who is it meant to protect? Certainly, yeah. So I should say, first of all, that the UN Refugee Agency disagrees with mm. that judge. It argued that the Rwanda policy violates absolutely the spirit of the convention and possibly also the letter. Um, but that refugee convention, that's an important piece of international law. It's the most important for refugees. It was introduced after World War II in 1951, mm. when there was mass displacement of people in Europe. Yeah. And the convention outlined 
the rights, those basic fundamental rights of asylum seekers and refugees. And its main aim was to say to countries, look, if someone arrives on your territory, having fled their home country because of a serious threat to their mm. life or liberty, then you have to look after them. So it aims to protect people fleeing persecution in their home country and enable them to create a new, a new life in another country. That's fundamentally what mm. it's about. Indeed. Uh, you know, according to the government website, the current asylum system is costing the taxpayer $1.5 billion a year, the highest amount in over two decades. Uh, does the Rwanda policy elevate this financial burden or add more to it? Yeah, so actually in the most recent financial year for which we have data, 2021 to 2022, that's actually increased. It's now over £2 billion. Pounds. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to know whether the Rwanda plan will add to the financial burden. I mean, the government has said that the cost of looking after a person in Rwanda will be similar to housing them in the UK. That has to be weighed, of course, against transportation costs. It's going to cost about seven people to Rwanda. Those can be high. Uh, but then also against the contribution that successful asylum seekers would make to the UK economy by working. You know, there are many examples of refugees who have actually gone on to make very substantial contributions to the UK economy and society. But the one thing I would say is, I mean, remember, at least for the time being, Rwanda will have capacity for only about a couple of hundred people. So Mm. that's a drop in the ocean relative to the tens of thousands of people who apply for asylum in the UK each year. So on the basis of that, at least for the time being, it probably won't have a big financial impact. Um, Peter, in relate to this question, you know, uh, I think Home Secretary was asked a question regarding why can't asylum seeker can work in this country? What do you think about it? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, other countries allow asylum seekers to work, usually mm. after some initial period. And actually, yeah. the UK is really restrictive on this. And the argument of campaigners is, look, hey, this harms their long-term integration, not being able to work, not being able to work. It's one of the most Mm. important things to make someone integrated. And look, this is a financial contribution that asylum seekers could make Mm. to help offset some of the cost and support that we provide to them. So that's something that's very politically contentious. And those are the arguments that refugee rights groups make. Mm. And And they're quite valid. Yeah, no, really interesting. I mean, just before we let you go, uh, Peter, I wanted to ask you, you know, based on what you know and what you're seeing now, especially uh, with all of the asylum policies that's coming through, and I think the Rwanda was the icing on the cake for me, do you think the country's changed, especially? Not like what it used to be, um, I guess, pre-2016 after the EU referendum or even prior to that? Do you think the mood of the country is changing significantly that people are ex- kind of accept there's a group of people in the country that kind of accept and and um would like it and then the home secretary uh, she once said that she dreams of people being sent back to Rwanda on a on a plane I couldn't believe it when Swala uh, Breverman said that do, do you think we've changed so I think there have been two changes uh, on the one hand the actual general population their attitudes are softened on immigration compared with before the brexit referendum people are actually more open to immigrants than they were five ten years ago and becoming warmer with each year and the surveys show us that but then on the other hand we have this increasingly tough restrictionist policy and the politicians in government 
are saying things that are quite restrictionist and their policies are very restrictionist. Rwanda, of course, the best example of that. So we have those kind of that dual trend pushing in opposite directions. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that's a topic that we probably will will touch on because I, you know, you might be interested in the second hour. Mm-hmm. One of the things we're going to be talking about, you know, trying to find peace within yourself through the soul and and the actions that you take. So maybe that's uh, something that uh, you might want to stay in and tune into. But thank you very much for your time today. Really appreciate your insight. I wish we had more time to just mm. delve deeper into your understanding of this. I, I think the only thing I can think of is. And I don't know if you know the answer to this because of the situation that's been happening in Australia, where they're having, I think they've got about 200 asylum seekers, which they are now being fined by the Human Rights Convention for the way they treated them. And I don't know how much that's costing them every day now in the millions, I assume. Yeah, I I mean, it will be a very substantial figure. I mean, there's two parts to the cost. One, these individuals are being held offshore in Papua New Guinea, Nauru. It's very expensive to do so. I mean, some estimates saying it's 100 times more expensive than just hosting them in local communities in Australia. And then, of course, you've got those very substantial legal fees to fight action like that. And it's possible that this could happen to UK if we actually end up sending anyone to Rwanda. And for that, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, OK. Well, thank you very much uh, for your time. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Always lovely to be on the show. Ah, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. So, um, so Nick, very interesting conversations, yeah. right? I mean, True. one is the financial implications. Yeah. One is, I guess, how we are as a nation and how we can accept that it's okay to send somebody uh, to Rwanda. And thirdly, with this new policy, to take one's citizenship mm. away um, is very worrying as well. You know, that, that that's what... Um, Really worries me. So let's um, let's look at this thing about the refugees. Then I mean, let's just mm. to kind of explain, really, um, what wh- what is a, a refugee? Uh, then? You know, yeah. the refugee is uh, someone who has been forced to flee his or his country, of course, uh, because of persecution, war, or violence. Uh, a refugee has a well-founded fear of persecution for reasons of race, religion, nationality political opinion or membership in a particular social group. Most likely, they cannot return home or they are afraid to do so. War and ethnic and tribal and religious violence are leading you know, causes of refugees fleeing their countries. Uh, <clears throat> 69% of those displaced across borders uh, come from just five countries, Syria, Venezuela, Afghanistan, South Sudan, and Myanmar. And according to the Ministry of International, that there are 26 million refugees globally. Half of the world's refugees are children. And 85% of refugees are being hosted in developing countries. And if you look at these facts, you know, especially <clears throat> the refugees are children, as when we see the, you know, the images, the visuals, especially they are in, in, in process to come to the UK yeah. or maybe any other country. And, you know, the way, you know, children are struggling because of that and very young children you know they don't have uh, food uh, to, to eat and the parents are struggling to you know give them for uh, uh, as a meal and i've seen myself you know them sitting on on the uh, in france on the borders yeah. with their children and it was very you know uh, you know uh, you, you feel uh, very disappointed and you feel pain within your heart that they are waiting there maybe somebody can like, give them food and they don't have a proper clothes and we see visuals you know every is everywhere and of course you know, uh, 
they have to come out of their countries because of because of uh, you know different kind of threats violence or any you know political opinion or maybe any religion uh, problems they are not there that they want to come out or, you know leave their countries mm. they are they have left their countries because there's a reason behind it and when you know this country especially when i think as we were discussing before regarding the taxpayer money and it's been sent to give you know a lot of money has been spent and they are going to give to rwanda as well personally i think they should have something within this within the country because i lived in north i know there are huge places they can do something for them rather than paying to the country they can pay to those councils and they can do something for them and of course they can work here as well and they can contribute themselves as well yeah. rather than yeah it's a, it's a very interesting conversation you say that because the international foreign mm. aid budget has been slashed over the last mm. uh decade so less and less money is available for these projects for these NGOs what they do and 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 the work that we do through Humanity First International which is one of our auxiliary organizations that that looks after the people mm. who which society has given up and left and we go and pick up where we can True. to help them and it, it is a really difficult challenge you know why can they not stay in France mm. why do they have to come here uh, it's all these conversations need to take place many reasons why language Lovely, yes. that they know a family member mm. who lives here so at least they 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 are safe because if we read look at some of the statistics okay um there are 69% of those that are displaced displaced across the borders they just come from five countries mainly it's from mm. Syria Venezuela Afghanistan South Sudan and Myanmar and when you look at those countries what's been going on in those countries mm. right war torn conflict, countries yeah. conflicts these are things that we as a worldwide group of organization should mm. should solve right? sit down together and discuss about it yes that's right look, look at yemen for example mm. uh all all of the conflicts around the world and obviously we have a war going on in europe and now we're seeing the displacement of our unfortunate ukraine fellow europeans are being displaced all over the world and we mm. are receiving them into this country they're going to poland and elsewhere but the thing that worries me the most according to the amnesty international is that there are 26 million refugees globally mm. right and when we look at the thousands that are crossing or the hundreds that are going to rwanda mm. you compare the figure to 26 million <laughs> refugees globally why is it as uh, these big countries do cannot take more of a responsibility and the the thing that scares me the most is that half of the world's refugees are children and these are statistics according mm. to the international uh, according to amnesty international and in 85% of the refugees are being hosted in developing countries right so you know yeah you know uh, one thing came uh, in my mind normally we give this argument regarding the wars going on that why the big countries are supplying the weapons and so and so but again i would say you know this these refugees are here because the war would not stopped in 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 early stages yeah. there was no discussion they were not you know they had to sit together before this this has has you know had to come because when the war happens people have to leave the country of course they're going to come to the well established countries so you know even now we see the russia is conflicting with ukraine and yeah. things are going on this there's no there's no stop there's, nothing is stopping here so i think to uh you know of course to deal with these refugees and to put an end to other other countries to come in other well established countries mm. to stop the war sit down have a peace and try to you know 
solve the conf- conf- conflicts which are going on in these countries. Yeah. I mean, you and I both know, many of our regular listeners and people mm. around the world know that our head of our worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masood sure. Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, has been championing this concept, exactly what you're talking about, for world peace. And he's traveled all over the world, all of the international uh, assembly points here in Parliament, Capitol Hill, all over the world, telling the same message. Hmm. Peace, peace. We need to live in humanity with with, um, lots of tolerance. Hmm. We don't want to usurp the countries. We need to be more friendly towards one another. And he's written letters to all of the head worlds of the states explaining all of this. So this is something that we do. This is one of the reasons why we talk about this and have these opinions. I would like to add one, you know, these of the, uh, you know, the saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And uh, he said, you know, regarding the refugees, you know, when they are entering the, these countries and they are closing the door on them, he says that there is no leader who closes the door to someone in need, one suffering in poverty, except that Allah closes the gates of the heavens for him when he is suffering in poverty. So the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, we see in his own life, you know, he has taken care of the people who are in need. He used to go to them. He had, a, you know, very, uh, he was inclined towards the people who were, not so much, um, you know, uh, wealthy or, you know, established. And he used to say that, you know, if you if you, find, if you want to find a God, find in, in a people who are, you know, living in poverty or they are not uh, yeah. well established, you know. Because what happens when you are in pain, when you're in grief, of course, you're praying to God and you're more needed to God Almighty. And that's why he says in, the, in this saying that if somebody comes on your door, never close your door on them, listen to them, see where they're coming from, what kind of, you know, uh, help they need and try to solve their problems. Yeah. And if we are adding more problems into their lives by sending them again to Rwanda, of course, it's going to be trouble for them. They yeah. are, you know, nearly, you know, uh, committed suicide and they're coming in this country. Yeah. And at the end, we're sending back to the other country and we don't know what's going to happen yeah. to them or there. It's not good. It's kind of, you know, shutting the door on them. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And also, if we took it one step further on this concept, if maybe our policy Rwanda mm. is and mm. it's not the best policy, although it's mm. been made lawful, then why don't we go deeper, go to the source Hmm. find out like you said earlier think, yeah. why is the problem happening why are people hmm. leaving hmm. Uh, their own hometowns where they were born where their families are help solve the conflicts there exactly who who wants to I mean if you imagine the places uh, like Croatia remember in 1990 I remember back hmm. then where we sent a, a group of young men to go and give um, support aid and aid and yeah. um, and when the stories came back, mm. they spoke about the most beautiful surroundings, the beaches of, of Croatia. Couldn't understand it. It was, mm. And also we hear stories about uh, Syria, how beautiful exactly. Syria is. So why would you, you're born, you've, your family's there. We should help solve those problems. I appreciate we are an island, mm. right? There is only so much that we can do, but mm. th- there are other solutions and most important thing is which everyone says is that there needs to be safe legal routes to be made more easier hmm. for people to come who are genuine asylum seekers and not be trafficked through the system which which upsets everybody hmm, exactly as you mentioned regarding the country syria um, our uh, you know my teachers uh, arabic teachers they are they've studied from syria and 
you know, when they discuss about Syria, yeah. I can see in their eyes, you know, they're trying to, then they try to say this was very beautiful. Yeah. They loved it, even though they were coming from Pakistan to Syria to study there mm. for two, three years. But it was very good. But what happened? And, you know, if there would have been no conf- conflict, everybody would have been living there. Nobody would have come because that's, you know, that's the country everybody coming from. Yeah. So again, as you said, we have to go on the grassroots and see what was the problem, how we can fix that problem. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, to, 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 to have, uh, you know, as you mentioned, safer routes yeah. for them. And, you know, we can, of course, if they're leaving the countries, you can go to their countries and try to, you know, uh, have, you know, something. Uh, a camp or something where you can listen to their problems, what's going on, yeah. how they, we can figure out how we can provide them a safer route and where's yeah. the safest country we can send it to them. Yeah, um, I mean, all, all, all great stuff. I mean, let's just get some of this um, statistics out. I mm. mean, Turkey continues to be the world's largest refugee hosting country, home to about 3.8 million refugees or 15% mm. of <laughs> all the people displaced across the borders. Germany is the second nice, largest yeah. refugee hosting countries in Europe within with 1.3 million refugees. And one thing, you know, about this, yeah. how they're accommodating all of them. They, I think uh, as far as I know, Germany mm. is not paying much to them. They're earning themselves. They yeah. are, you know, they're trying to earn and live their own life, even though they are, of course, there's a help from the government. But on a bigger screen, if you, uh, as far as I've discussed with people, yeah. You know, they can live there, they can earn there, and they are not burdened on the country. That's why they are accommodating, as you mentioned, the 3.8 million, 1.3 million refugees. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there is a transition. There is um, a, a way in which mm. um, when you do receive all the asylum seekers yeah. or those from all, but there is a transition as mm. to how it's going to cost the country initially. But eventually, when they start working in the system, mm. start paying their taxes and get educated, and then their children potentially can become mm. engineers, doctors. Yeah. And and what you do find, and I've seen this, and, and I know this because you mentioned the example about Syria. Mm. When we were having this welcome friends, uh, refugees from Syria, we mm. had many families that came mm. over. And some of them were had to leave their education and some were chefs True. and so on. But when they came, they were so enthusiastic about learning and getting mm. an education. Obviously, we've got the, one of the best education systems in the world. True. But the return in on in that investment mm. um, will eventually pay for itself. Exactly. There are statistics, but are we ready for it as a nation? That was the question I was asking earlier. Mm. Do we want to still have short-term fixes? I mean, at the moment, we, as a nation, we're hurting, especially when you look at the public services every uh, public service and, and others, even in the private uh, um, communities as well, people are now thinking about going on strike. Uh, again, just a couple of more before we speak to our next guest. I wanted to say that uh, in 2021, more than 114,000 people risked their lives trying to reach Europe by sea. Over 3,200 of them are dead or missing. And you probably remember that we thought there was a watershed moment when there was a a photographer who took a picture of that young baby boy that Mm. was found on the beach dead. But we thought that was the watershed moment. And then recently we've had more and more boats Mm. that have have failed and and the boats have gone missing. So what is that? You know, how... are we become immune to it? I don't know. Um, Anyway, let's talk to our next guest, 
who's waiting patiently to speak to us. And also like to welcome then Robert uh, Evans, who is a member of the Surrey County Council as a councillor and is well experienced and also used to be a MEP as well for many years and now is a freelance lecturer. So, Robert, welcome to the Drive Time Show. Good afternoon. Welcome. Thank you. Oh, you're most welcome. So, Robert, you've probably been listening to some of our conversation. Yes. And I don't know if you managed to listen to our conversation with Peter uh, Walsh as well, who went into some detail. But I wanted to ask you a few questions. Me and Anik have got some questions for you. So there is this like lots of opposition to this scheme that we're talking about, the, the Rwanda. And it's based a lot on violation of the human rights. Are you, Ableton, can you please touch on some of these breaches and explain why they are so problematic? Yes, well, uh, thank you very much, and thank you for the opportunity to to chat with you today. Um, Human Rights Watch, which is a respected international organisation, they continue to follow closely the situation in Rwanda, and they list various amounts of illegal detention of people uh, and other violations which would not be acceptable, including the ill treatment of street children in in Kigali. Um, And in Rwanda, there's very few opposition parties who are active or make any public comments or they don't want to criticise government policies because they're in fear. You know, in this country, the Labour Party, the Liberal Democrats, the Scottish Nationalists can criticise the government and can say what we think and what we don't think. Um, in Rwanda, that's not, not the case. There's years of threats, intimidation, mysterious deaths and um, some high-profile politically motivated trials. Yeah. You know, and with all this detention, ill-treatment and torture, it really does not seem to me any way a place where we ought to be sending people who've arrived uh, in this country seeking sanctuary. Do you also think that if we established a safe zone, do you think then that would be also a wrong move? Uh, you know, you go to some of these countries on holiday and you spend a lot of money on package holidays, but you know the country in itself is not a safe place. But actually, as you go as a tourist, you stay in a safe area. It's all boarded, it's all protected. Do you think that it's possible to create um, an area in Rwanda where it could be a safe area for people who are being sent there that could be protected? Or do you think that's just asking for well, too it, much? Well, it may be. It may mm. be possible. But I think, you know, you've raised an interesting point there. When you're going to on holiday or, for example, with the Football World Cup in Qatar, yeah. anybody going to another country needs to ask questions. Is this a country where I really want to be associated with, um, where I want to put my invest my money? You know, there was a lot of criticism of Qatar and whether that was the sort of place with their record. Yeah. Um, that that we wanted to go to yeah and um i think the same goes to anybody on holiday going to a country which has got a very poor record you know i don't think you'd go on holiday to afghanistan at the moment because you would be giving credibility to the taliban and we don't wish to do that i don't think many people are going to russia at the moment on holiday because um a fascinating country as it is and it's probably wonderful to go to moscow or st petersburg but you would be giving credibility to putin's regime so uh, unless one's happy with the country. I mean, there's always going to be things about every country. Yeah. You can go to Spain and not like, you know, you don't like bullfighting, but you still go to Spain. I understand that. You 
people went to America when Trump was in charge and he didn't like it. But we are talking about a different scale, different scale here. So, yeah, we um, are. People um, have got to take responsibility and governments have got to take responsibility. Yeah, we, we've been talking about that, me and uh, Anik, on the show as well, that you know, can, can uh, the foreign policy take a different stance in that to make other areas at the source safer and resolve the conflicts there? But I'm sure you, you have got some experience in that anyway when you were a member of the European Parliament as well with the work that you did. And you can shed some light on that if you wish. But I did want to ask you about um, this the cost of and how expensive it is to charter a flight to Rwanda. And especially when there's been no refugees that have been deported at the moment. I mean, do you know how much it costs to, to send people on the chartered plane and and what are the kind of associated costs to such a policy and we always take it over last year i think the the government spent over six million pounds on charter flights to 38 flights to deport or remove people and that was only in six months last year so it worked out at about 160,000 pounds a flight the the controversial rwanda flight that um, didn't take place because it was challenged. I think that cost best part of half a million pounds. Um, so, you know, we're talking about a lot of money. Yeah. Um, airplanes are expensive. We know that. They're environmentally unfriendly as well. Um, so your governments have got to take responsibility as well. And back to your previous point, countries, no country likes being criticised internationally. No country likes the United Nations, the European Union, or any other country criticising them. When there are elections, and I did some election observation, countries mm. want an election observation team to come in and give them a clean bill of health. Um, and it's the same with human rights in a con- any country. They want international community to uh, recognise that they've made progress, they're doing well, and they're, they're becoming a functioning democracy. Right. Yeah. Um, Robert, you know, prior to the Rwanda policy, uh, Pretty Patel's Nationality and Borders Act of 2022 made it illegal for migrants to knowingly enter to the UK without a visa or a special permission. Mm. What did this act aim to achieve and was it successful? Well, what we know what it aimed to mm. achieve and what they've been trying to achieve is to stop the the, the boats, the dinghies coming mm. across the English Channel. And you only have to look at that. You and I, most of us wouldn't get in a dinghy like that to go across the River Thames at London. Or if we did, we'd be scared stiff. And these are people spending 12 hours in a boat to come across some of the most dangerous waters in the world. So we've got to accept that they're desperate people. Um, And Priti Patel's policy, and it's one that's been carried on by Suella Braverman, is a desperate bid to stop, stop that happening. But, you know, the reason people, people want to come to Britain, and that's a, a separate issue, you're going to look at why they mm-hmm. want to come to Britain. But the reason they're coming in those boats is because there's no legal way that somebody without a passport or somebody seeking asylum can come to Britain in those circumstances. Ukrainians came because they got a special <laughs> exemption, special procedures. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, this act was part of the government plans to send asylum seekers um, to Rwanda, and it clearly hasn't worked. Mm. Uh, it it provided less protection to refugees. Um, it raised a lot of serious questions, legal questions, which are still being um, questioned or will be in the courts because there is the law. There are laws in this country, and the government, no government, can circumnavigate those, circumvent them, and. Um, 
Priti Patel and now Suella Braverman are, it's not quite knee-jerk, but it's publicity-seeking rather than looking at the root causes of the problems. Mm. A lot was made recently that many of the people in these boats are Albanians and that Albania is a safe country. Well, Mm -hmm. if you unpack the whole question of Albania, the European Union is looking at Albania, trying to support it, help it develop its democracy, its economy, so that the people there, young men in particular, have got a future to work there. Um, Nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks, I love it in this country, but I'm going to go elsewhere. They leave because... They want to seek work in another country or they're scared stiff for whatever reason, staying put, which may be because of the lack of democracy in their home state or fear from the military or fear of violence of some sort. And then they opt to to leave. And if people are leaving um, Albania or other countries because it's economically impoverished, then other countries need to look at that and see how what we can do to help. And many of the countries where the people are seeking to come to the UK from, whether it's Iraq, Iran, Syria and parts of Africa, are ones where the UK and other European countries have a historical involvement, let me put it like that, and have paid a part in the fact that these are countries that struggle at the moment. Indeed, indeed. Uh, For the people, you know, who oppose immigration often argue that immigrants do not contribute to the economies in which they are brought. Do you agree or disagree with this sentiment and do we have evidence supporting their argument? Well, if you want to look for evidence Mm. of uh, refugees or immigrants into this country, you've only got to look at the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak. Now, I'm not a supporter of him, but although I think he was born in this country, his Mm. father came to this country to work as a doctor and his mother worked as a pharmacy a pharmacist um, and he's the, so his his parents have contributed to him and his parents are still alive I believe um, they contributed to him becoming prime minister in this mm, country so yeah. um, you can't knock the whole system and then you look at sportsmen and women uh, Mo Farah who was mm. a refugee and, and we know far more about his story now than we yes, used to um, the young tennis star Emma Raducanu, who was actually born in Canada, I think, but her parents were of Romanian and Chinese origin. Um, and then there are doctors, academics. I certainly you go to any hospital and you will find um, doctors, nurses, ancillary staff from all around the globe. So and teachers in schools, they're all contributing to this country. And you know, just because one or two migrants might be accused of abusing the system um the vast majority come here because they want to work and to contribute and make Mm. uh, a life here and add to the strength of this country and it's one that's happened for years for years we had uh immigrants from uh, ireland from all parts of europe after the second world war a lot and all of these people have contributed vastly to this country people from the commonwealth from south asia everywhere. So this country uh, has benefited enormously from uh, from, from immigrants. So uh, there's no evidence to, to support that uh, that they haven't contributed to this economy of this country. True. Uh, you know, given the massive international human displacement problem we are encountering, uh, is it fair that the UK government and other first world countries should share the global responsibility of protecting refugees mm-hmm. and asylum seekers? Yeah, I think you're, you're, you're right. And I like your mm. question that it's responsibility. Mm. And when I was in the European Parliament, we worked on about uh, to make sure it wasn't seen as burden sharing. Mm. It was responsibility sharing. Because um, if you're in a rich country, 
you're not rich just because of your, the wealth of your own country. You're mm. rich, the country is rich because it is working with other countries. And the, the history of Europe is going back a long time, but it, Europe got prosperous because of colonization. Um, now, Europe, and whether you include Britain in, as, a, as a European country, it's not in the EU, it's still a European country, yeah. is wealthy. Um, and uh, we have to take our fair share of the fact that there are countries less wealthy than us. Otherwise, we'll just put up barbed wire and borders around um, and say, we're all right, let's not worry about the people outside. Mm. Um, we can't do that. No. We rely on huge amounts of imports from China and India, Bangladesh, other countries around the world, Pakistan. Um, and we know that we get food from Ukraine and everywhere else in, in, in Europe. And so as wealthy countries, it's important that we share the responsibilities protecting those less well off than us who could well be refugees or asylum seekers. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed our conversation, Robert, because a lot of things that went through my head then as you were talking about answering this last question about Ukraine. Beforehand, I had no idea that the, most of the wheat came from Ukraine. Um, and we know about Taiwan, which is the biggest chip manufacturer mm -hmm. but you learn about these things don't you you would never know because at the end of the day if everything everyone's working together stability mm. sustainability and peace everyone prospers that's yeah the key we're thing. a global global economy and we're as much as part of that yeah. uh, as any other country yeah and and i liked your point about the diversity as well i mean we know through diversity there are so many more ideas you learn so much more you enjoy people's culture it's mm. fascinating it's so enjoyable and that is what i believe for me personally what made britain so great you know its ability to be tolerant and welcoming to allow so many people from the commonwealth to, to be part of this wonderful nation anyway i'll go on well thanks a lot robert for your time today really Pleasure. Appreciate thanks it. ever so much you're most Looking forward to speaking to you again yeah sure bye-bye now bye for now bye-bye bye-bye so that's uh, Robert, a member of Surrey County Council, a uh, member of the Labour Party, and also a freelance lecturer and as a member of European uh, Parliament at one time as well. You know, as you were mentioning about diversity, yeah. the the fourth caliph, you know, the Khalifa al-Masir he has mentioned one thing, you know, uh, he has given the example in something, of, uh, it was discussed in something else, which I would like to mention that example. Yeah. You know, uh, His Holiness mentioned, you know, if there is only one flower in the garden, let's suppose if there's only yellow rose in the in the garden, it would look good. But if you have different colors of flowers in the garden, yeah. it looks more nicer. You would love to sit there, enjoy there, and, you know, see the different, you know, uh, colors, different smells. As you mentioned earlier, you know, for the diversity in this country, that's what makes is you know, a great country. Yeah. I mean, when you look at when we have our annual gatherings... Mm. And you see the people who come across globe, yeah. all over the world from over 200 countries. It's one of the most beautiful feelings. And in in the convention area, they every country that attends, there's a, a flag put up. Mm. For that. And it's like a sea of flags. And yes. you can see everyone going by the flags and taking pictures and trying to find their flag. Their and, flags, yes. and, it is, and it's such a wonderful uh, sisterhood, brotherhood. And obviously, it's a spiritual mm. uh, meeting, but there are so many other benefits to it as well. So, yeah, I, I think that diversity and that um, 
um, approach is wonderful. Okay, so we are getting to the top of the hour, and so we are asking you this question. We'll be sending you the results. Do you think it's fair to be sending people to Rwanda? Yes or no? So let us know. We'll give you the results to that. And also... Uh, we want to just finish off with a with a few other little bits as as we go through because you know in, in terms of kind of ending this hour obviously we we were only specifically uh, touching on the Rwanda policy I mean immigration in itself is is massive right and uh, the obviously you can be um, a refugee or you could decide to emigrate and become an immigrant as well but actually we're talking about this policy that specifically affects the people who are seeking asylum and how we as our policy do we consider it to be fair or not fair and hopefully with the discussions we've had with our guests and what we've been saying as well because there have been lots of oppositions to the scheme based on violation and human rights, etc. And there's there's so much more as well. But hopefully we've managed to to cover all of that. But what I wanted uh, just to do is just to just end a little bit about where we are now. And then I'll ask Anik to just say at, at the end... Uh, a mess, uh, something that our current head of the oh, Worldwide yes. Ahmadiyya Muslim Association, Hazrat Mr. Masood Ahmed, has said uh, on this. Uh, but I just wanted to just say a couple of more things that, um, you know, this introduction to the Rwanda policy, um, Dublin itself, interestingly, declared that it's now experiencing a surge of asylum seekers at a time when its services are already stretched by the arrival of refugees from Ukraine. And Ireland blames that Britain's Rwanda policy for the influx of migrants from UK and among other less significant factors like UNHCR, Ireland has also said that the significant investment is now required by the government to ensure that it has the capacity to meet the immediate need for shelter of new arrivals and to provide safeguards for protection of the children and other categories of vulnerable people. And according to the Migration Policy Institute, the damage to the DNA of the post World War II protection system, it can really hardly be overstated. And now we look at what's happening now. Not only does it derogatory from and openly question the principles of the territorial asylum, I mean, for example, the right to access the nation asylum and upon setting things like, you know, a foot on your island, you can do so many things. And it also has its advantages in areas that state that can pay to cast off their responsibilities like slippery shoulders, which we don't want to see. But they did sign up to it under the 1951 Geneva Convention. So. I'll end there and I'll just ask uh, Anik to just say um, something from our local yeah. So, uh, Zolinus has mentioned that all people, regardless of faith or belief, should work together for the betterment of humanity. He said that the Holy Quran teaches that there should be no compulsion in religion, and so we Ahmadi Muslims respect all religions, all prophets, and all people. All genuine refugees should be helped by governments and international organizations. Mm. He said that they should, they should be allowed to settle until peace is stored in their home countries. However, it is also important that the authorities remain vigilant and monitor the refugees to ensure that extremists are not allowed to settle 
under the use of asylum. Yeah. And, you know, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has mentioned that whoever, you know, relieves a Muslim uh, of a burden from the burdens of the world, God Almighty will relieve him of a burden from the burdens of the hereafter. So, you know, it is very important that we should not, we should not uh, shut our doors on them. As the, the, the third caliph of the Holy Prophet, uh, peace be upon him, has mentioned that a house, you know, a person or a son of Adam uh, is, has only right on a house which he lives and a garment he wears and, you know, the piece of bread and water. Yeah. That's what we, you know, uh, should be looking forward to and helping other people as, as much as we can. Brilliant. Thanks for that, uh, Anik. Well, well said. And um, these are the sort of guidance that we get regularly mm. from our worldwide leader of the Ahmadi Muslim Association. So that's it for this uh, hour. Again, if there's, don't forget the, the poll that we've been asking. Mm. You can get in touch with us in a normal way. Tweet us on Voice of Islam UK and just let us know what you think. Well, here you go. Here's the six five o'clock news. of Islam Radio. Welcome back and thank you very much for staying with us for the second part of the show and obviously you'll be listening to Voice of Islam like you normally do throughout the day but these are our live sessions and interactive so you can by all means get in touch with us in a normal way like pick up the phone on 0208 687-7878 or tweet us and obviously engage with us in the poll that we are asking at the moment based on our previous question is the Rwanda policy fair or not fair? So currently, the results as we see it today, it's basically 80% say no, and obviously 20% say yes, it is fair. So I, I would also feel that's probably the mood of the country. Uh, what do you think? think? <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, so, okay. yeah. so by all means, get in touch. Let us know um, how you feel about that. And obviously, this next subject that we're going to be talking about is purifying yeah. your soul. And I'm here as uh, someone to learn more about this mm. subject because Anik Rahman is kind of a bit of a specialist in this more than I am. So I'm looking forward to this uh, next hour to, to pick up some real good tips and uh, get into the depth of this so we want to talk uh, about what are and how and what are the teachings about the soul and i'll probably be asking more questions than actually talk about so i'll, I'll ask Anik to start off the yeah. introduction first. Um, you know mr hanif actually yeah. if we discuss this topic it's uh, you know just a very important topic in everybody's life 
you know, we have to really think about it that who we are. As I think personally myself, that yeah. we are in, in this in this world, we are sent by God. Are we like animals or are we like a human being? If we are a human being, then what is our purpose? Mm. Because, you know, if we discuss about human, has to be a purpose. And if there's a purpose, are we working on it or not? As you mentioned regarding the purifying yourself, purifying your soul, there's a link of purifying your soul because there's a need of it. And of course, if you purify yourself, ultimately links you towards God Almighty. You know, you become nearer to God Almighty. Mm. And when we discuss this, you know, specific topic, we need to understand, first of all, regarding the soul. And then, of course, why we need to purify the soul. And, you know, what happens at the end when we purify it. If we, you know, just discuss a little bit about the soul first, you know, we don't have to think it's just a soul we have to purify. We, this is the soul has a link with your physical, you know, appearance as well. The soul is not something you have to work only on soul. You have to work on, you know, on on, on yourself, you know, on your etiquettes, your attributes, what you do in your life, mm. and that would reflect on your soul. So you mentioned something. Is this passed down from your parents as well? In in a way, you just said that. In, in, did I? <laughs> you mentioned that uh, the, the soul, the way your teachings are, the way you behave, the, the way you're raised. It's it, kind of no, like exactly. Talk, that, that, yeah. That's absolutely right. Of course, yeah. of course, for the children who are, you know, you're growing up, you yeah. have children. But, you know, it is our responsibility to yeah. tell them a right path right. and how you can purify your souls. Yeah. And it is not something we're just telling them. We have experiences that people who do these things, yeah. you become a better person. If mm. we regardless, just put a religion on one side. If we discuss, if we if we see a normal people, especially in these these countries, our parents who want their children to become a better person, a good person, they work on them, they teach them everything, whatever they can do. Yeah. What happens? Does you know in religion, all those things reflect on your soul. To become or to purify your your soul, you have to speak truth. You have to be, you know, uh, soft to other people. You have to be, uh, you know, worshiping God Almighty. Yeah. You have to do all kind of good things. Yeah. To purify your soul, so ultimately trying to under, try to make this point that a soul and your you know attributes or your attitudes in this this in this very world has a link. When you work on both of them, the link gets stronger and you purify your soul at the end. Does your body become healthy as well? Exactly, indeed. You know, uh, we uh, I, I would like to go to in in detail because mm. we don't want to touch religion now. In, on, on some yeah. point, we'll discuss the religion that how and what are the ways and, you know, how we can purify the souls. First of all, I would like to, you know, uh, discuss the existence of soul. But just before yeah. that, I want to ask you a question. Yep. You mentioned something about animals and human beings and this question about do animals have a soul yep. and do humans have a soul? And the question is, is do animals have a soul? I, I know the answer, but I want you to just explain it, why you can work it out, what the answer is. You know, uh, Human has soul, indeed. Yeah. And animals, you know, don't, as you know. Yeah. And they can feel, of course, they have an instinct. They can do something and they do only specifically one thing. Whatever God has designed for. On the other on the other side, a man has mind, he has soul, he thinks about it, he knows what to do, what not to do. What is, you know, a hum, you know uh, inhuman or what is, you know, per, right thing to do. 
an animal you would see you know mostly they do what only one thing if as you mentioned earlier we were discussing before mm. you mentioned about the you know the snake. example of snake mm. you know he bites you know you never see you know a, a, if you are uh, going past the snake it won't do anything to you if you go near to them if you don't touch them of course at the end it will bite you yeah. so on the other side when a god almighty gives you a soul and god might give you understanding there's a purpose behind of giving these things to a human being and what is the purpose is a purpose is to basically first of all as we you know if you look at the history of uh, any religion with god created us god has sent prophets and the reason of sending the prophets to purify a person purify the soul teach them etiquette you know tell them why they have been sent to these this 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 country how the very most important question how you have to live in this uh, in this world you know very first thing if we discuss about adam god almighty given them very fundamental things to do and what was it it was to live in live in live peacefully do not fight with each other mm. because they were living in uh, in 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 a caves or they do not know they used to have a uh, fights and you know tribal fights of course they were no understanding of it if we discuss that how allah the almighty sent the prophet the very first prophet adam peace be upon him to just teach them etiquettes how to live and how to live peacefully how to wear clothes how to you know and to tell them there's a god who has yeah. created you so it's and, a journey yes right? journey you know it's so because yeah. You know, we we talk about people who are very religious and very pious, but yeah. there are people who probably don't believe in God, don't believe in the existence of God, but they do good works. They, you know, they they help a lady across the road. They mm. give charity. They see a homeless person. They do good deeds. Indeed, you know, they are very. So that's part of their journey as well in purifying their soul. You know, one thing we need to understand. Yeah. That whatever they are doing. Yeah. We have to go into the roots. they've seen them be other people doing it and do you find these teachings whatever they're doing they are helping people out they are becoming good person we find that these all th- things came from a religion you know if we go back let's let's go back you know 20 30 years uh, 200 500 years ago or, or maybe 2000 years ago when the jesus were here and he basically given a teaching to these people that that's how you should be living your life that's how you become a good person and slowly of course the religion is not there the element is not there but the teachings which were given by the prophet is still there and that's what the holy prophet peace be upon him said you know to become a better person to become a, you know a, a person who is uh, you know uh, helping other out and uh, to be, to purify yourself you have to do these things and then you become a person uh, you know god almighty wants to wants you to be yeah. so these things even though we say that these are there they they don't believe on god but ultimately their ancestor believed on it yeah. and that's what they told they have taken from the religion you know sometimes people say that you know the when uh, they had the, the, to took over spain where there was all the you know lecture, uh, um, uh, books of islamic cultures or you know islamic uh, um, religion so they have taken all the good things from the books and somehow they've learned from all those things that how you can become a better person how you can you know become uh, uh, you can purify your soul and that's what they did and now we can see that the religion is not there but ultimately what they learned through the religion regardless of its christianity or islam or any other religion we can you know see the reflection of it right yeah. now all right really interesting stuff there i mean but there is someone tried to bits of scientific stuff as well i mean they talk about 
why what is the importance of of the soul is it the existence and the properties of the soul it's a topic that most people talk about right you know you're feeling mm. you know what is it why why is it when you feel sad you're you, you start crying why is it you know when when you feel happy why do you smile you know all these things that are are, are, are intrinsic to to what we believe is the soul right it's indeed you know uh, mm. the, the soul we have to understand first of all that soul is not something which is physically there but god almighty has in sync the feeling through the soul that whatever we can feel it we don't say you know i i i understood it and that that's why i'm i'm crying people say you know felt about this that's why you know he hurted me or maybe he he's happy that's why you know you can see the emotions but of course ultimately the soul can feel and you know the soul has very strong uh, impact on uh, our, our body and they are integrated the god almighty has you know uh, because you know the god is amazing <laughs> he can do whatever they want to do and that's what we see in the uh, in the soul but one thing i would like to add over here sometimes people do ask about the soul that what is soul and how can you describe the soul but we see in 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 the holy prophet in the holy quran where the holy prophet uh, peace be upon him was asked about the soul that what is soul and where you know allah taala allah the almighty has uh, you know revealed the verse of the holy quran that god almighty knows what is the you know true inside of the soul but soul does exist and the knowledge of the soul is with, with god almighty and but one thing is sure and definitely for sure that we can feel the soul and you know when the body loves uh, whatever happening to us we can feel it yeah. it's not body who's feeling it there is something in there which we you name it as a soul was feeling everything yeah. so but for the answer to soul that what is soul god almighty has given the answer himself but you know that the knowledge of soul is with god almighty you should not be asking this so the the almighty didn't give the you know whole knowledge about it but indeed we know there's a soul and we can feel it it's very similar to the knowledge that the human race has been given hmm. was not given what we know today the early stages of our of our race i mean we didn't know how an eclipse happens mm, exactly. but today we know how an eclipse happens but in the day mm. we didn't have that knowledge and at that moment when we discussed the program about miracles didn't mm. we to them to that time when um moses and and Various kinds of prophets, when the sun moon eclipse happened, they thought it was something else that took yeah. place. That was God is not happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. But it was very clear that it was a natural thing, and I'm sure in the future, more and more uh, knowledge will be shared, and we'll learn more stuff about uh, the soul and, and the workings. But we know a lot because we're going to be discussing them now. We mm. we have our first guest who wants who will be able to throw some insight into this as well. We're, we're joined by Murabi Tahir Khalid. Um, with us today, he's uh, an imam of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Association, and he's ser- serving in Hertfordshire. So, I- Imam Tahir, welcome to the Drive Time Show, and thank you for joining us today. Waalaikumsalam, for having me on today. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh no, you're so. We, we, you know, we've been talking about the soul and what it potentially means, and and how we can purify it, and um, and the distinction between animals. And, and that they do not have a soul, but they have feelings. But actually, when we talk about this soul, when when is the soul placed within us as we uh, exist in this life? I mean, does it happen 
do I get it when I'm 18 or do I have it when I'm born? You know, these mm. are interesting conversations that people probably don't mm. understand and why, why it is. When is the soul placed within us in our life? It's a very good question. Um, and it's an important question as well for us to understand and uh, to, to, to have a grasp on this subject. Uh, but I want to, before I answer it, I want to touch on uh, um, the, the verse which um, uh, your co-presenter mentioned yeah. uh, from the Holy Quran. Um, in chapter, in chapter 17, chapter 17, verse 86, uh, when, when the people of Saudi, of Mecca, when they were asking the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, about the soul, uh, and the verse goes, God Almighty states, and they asked thee as to the reality of the soul and the manner of its creation. Say, the soul is created by the command of my Lord, and you have no knowledge concerning the soul, save a little. Uh, and that little bit of knowledge that we have uh, is with regards to the birth and, of course, the gradual progress uh, and these matters with regards to the to the soul. And we're very fortunate that God Almighty has um, sent the promised Messiah, um, who's the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, to who the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said he will be the, the judge and the arbiter. He will be the one to... Uh, expound on these teachings which had been lost, which had been forgotten, which had been misinterpreted. Um, so the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, has written in his book, The Philosophy of the Teachings of Islam, in a number of places and other books as well, about the, the human soul, how the soul is created, the second birth of the soul, uh, the gradual progress of the soul, um, and the three states of the human soul, and, and like this, many other places, he's he's also spoken about whether animals have souls. And you mentioned this uh, in the beginning, and he 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 states as well that they do have souls, but it is not to the same account as as human beings. Their judgment, they are not limited, or they are, do, they do not fall under the realm as human beings do. They do not have the same kind of um, limitations as humans do in the sense that humans and he's explained it the promised messiah has, has explained it um and before i'd go into talk about the birth of the soul because you touched on it yes i thought it was be, no thank um, you for that perfect i thought it, i thought it would be good to touch on this but he states that the the because of the law which man is under and particularly as a muslim uh, and human beings in general but as muslims we have sharia we have the commandments of the holy quran the, the narrations of the Holy Prophet and, of course, the Sunnah, which we follow, more than 700 commandments. And he states um, that that with, with regards to the Sharia, there's nothing common between animals and humans. The dictates of the Sharia are like a knife that slides over the throat of a man, but animals are not held accountable for them. The constraints of the Sharia are like a death that man has to bring upon himself, by considering all these matters together, it would be clear that human sufferings are far greater than the sufferings of humans of of animals. Um, so they do they have feelings, like you mentioned, um, and of course uh, they have a kind of soul, but it is not the same as a human soul, and it is not uh, the the human soul is held accountable. It has a progress and decline, uh, but it, it, it's, it's the same elements the same matter are not 
uh, are not instilled within um, within animals. That's excellent. Um, that's, that's, to, yeah, that, I'll just say that, that that's really good uh, explanation, and I think that's. Uh, really explains it really well that there are yeah. they have a soul but it's a different type of soul whereas yeah. humans have a can, can you describe it as a more advanced soul yeah of course yeah. of course with, with with you see we are accountable for our for actions, our actions. Yeah. we have been we have been given the faculties of 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 our of our mind of of interact of our intellectual state which animals don't they can't speak in the same way that we speak they can't communicate in the same way that we do they can't have feelings in the same way that they do. yes they have their feelings yes they can communicate in their own way yeah but not in the way as humans we're much more advanced we're much more intellectual because we have uh, a choice only... don't we we can choose of course uh, whereas of course. an animal that um an equal to mine was saying earlier can is is created by God to be, for example, a dog is a dog and a cat is a cat, a snake is, is a snake, a donkey, an elephant, all these animals which you see, that's them, that's yeah. who they are. Um, okay, interesting. Yeah, so you were going to answer that, that specific question I asked so, you. Like, so, yeah, so the soul, how the soul is created. Yeah. I mean, like I mentioned, the Promised Messiah, uh, Mizar Ghulam Ahmed, he has discussed many different matters of the soul in many different books and places. But in his book, The Philosophy of the Teachings of Islam, he's gone into great detail about the, the soul. And he states that it is absolutely true that the soul is a fine light developed inside the body and which is nurtured in the womb. To begin with, it is hidden and imperceptible, and later it is made manifest. From the very beginning, its essence is present in the sperm. It is related to the sperm in a mysterious manner by the design and command and will of God. It is a bright and illumined quality of the sperm. It cannot be said that it is a part of the sperm as matter is part of matter, nor can it be said that it comes from outside or falls upon the earth and gets mixed with the matter of the sperm. It is latent in the sperm as fire is latent in the flint. The Book of God does not mean that the soul descends from heaven as a separate entity or falls upon the earth from the atmosphere and then by chance get, gets mixed with the sperm and enters the womb with it. Hmm. There is no basis for such a notion. The law of nature rejects it. We observe daily that thousands of germs infect impure and stale foods and are generated in unwashed wounds. Dirty linen secretes hundreds of lice and all sorts of worms are generated inside a person's stomach. It cannot be said that all these come from outside or cannot or can be observed as descending from heaven. The truth is that the soul is developed in the body, and this also also proves that it is created and it is not self existent. So like you so when you asked does will I get the soul when I'm eighty or when I'm yep. eighteen? No, it, it is it is innate in the in in the uh, in the matter of man from his creation from the womb he's explained it in another in another way as well um where where when uh, the the sperm and the egg come together and the, and the, and a feet and and the uh, and a fetus is, is the embryo comes alive really uh, the fetus and the embryo come together um the the embryo turns uh, into into it grows and develops yeah. uh, into a baby at that time when the fetus, when the embryo comes alive, at that time, 
is when life is breathed into the body uh, and that that light of the soul is instilled and comes within uh, within the within that human within that child uh, within the baby inside the womb of the mother yeah and got it so it's very clear you know so while, while the baby is developing in the womb there's a moment when at that moment um we we've been told I've heard it been narrated four weeks four months four months four yes. months been uh, narrated. Four and months, after yeah. after four months is when then maybe the beginning that's why I think uh, the Imam Tahir will also correct herself yeah. I think it's the beginning of four months the Khalifa al-Masih the fourth has mentioned yeah. that beginning the fourth yeah. month uh, you know the soul or the life yeah. has uh, yeah. interesting so so then my next question and I'm, I'm and I'm also talking from a layman's because and I'm ask you these really basic questions is because many of our audiences mm. um, are listening to this show and, and probably tuned into Voice of Islam mm. and, and not understand the, the what, what we're discussing in detail so I'm trying to ask questions that maybe will be in their mind as opposed to what I already know yeah. in a way yeah. is that we talk about children are born sinless and mm. when it means by sinless does that mean they are never done anything wrong ever and they would not be able to do anything wrong. I mean, what is the purpose of the soul for them? I mean, it's a really interesting question in that children yeah. are sinless, but they're obviously sinless already when they're in the womb, when they've developed. Is that right? And then they, yeah. they grow up. But what is the purpose yeah. for the soul then? So, so when, they're, yeah. they're, when they're born, when they come into this world, yes. they, they're, they're innocent, right? That's when we say that they're, when they're sinless, they're innocent, right? They, they don't know what is right and what is wrong. Um, and when they start growing up, um, depending on their surroundings, depending on what they learn, that is developed and inculcated into the moral state of that child. And that moral state will then define and, uh, you can say, um, reflect on the child's actions. Yeah. Um, the Promised Messiah has, has, has spoken on this as well. Um, with regards to to that soul and and how it is then nurtured, um, and, and this is to the, the natural state. When we talk about the natural state of man, uh, you can refer to it in in this discussion as well as a sinless child, for example. Um, and the the Holy Quran, the Prophet states, the Holy Quran has given direction with with every action of man. Uh, his laughing, his weeping, eating, clothing, sleeping, speaking, keeping silent, marrying, remaining celibate, uh, walking, standing still, outward cleanliness, bathing, submitting to a discipline in health and in illness. Uh, and he states that all of the conditions, the physical conditions which a person goes through, uh, it affects the spiritual condition. And that spiritual condition is what is, ref- is reflected to uh, as, as the soul. And of course, the moral state. So the moral state, it has an impact on the soul and the spiritual st- state as well is reflected through the soul. Um, and so, for example, as a child, if you are, if you are taught to be, uh, to, 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 to be good, to be kind, to be caring, uh, to be charitable, uh, to to look after yeah. people, to look after your neighbours, to look after your parents, uh, and 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 a, a child 
does those actions, does those good things, it has an impress, it leaves a stamp, a mark um, um, on, on, on the soul. Um, and the more a person, the more a child uh, continues to progress in those good deeds, those good actions, it leaves a, a finer imprint on the child. And these are, in the same way, the natural state of man, the natural state where you're doing good deeds, where you know that something is good and you do it, then it leaves an impress, it leaves a stamp, it, 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 yeah. it allows the, the soul to progress. Yeah. So what, you're, then, so, sorry, so yeah. what you're saying then, so, so basically you have the natural state, and then you do good stuff, good works, you become a good person, you learn that from your parents, the, and the choices you make are to serve humanity. You're making those choices through becoming a moral state, knowing the difference between right and wrong. Yeah. And then what's the next state? Then what happens, because we talk about saints, don't we? Very spiritual people. They've probably gone yeah, so a step these, further, so right? These, so these three states, um, these, these three states are... The, fir the first one is nafsi ammara, uh, which uh, to explain it is is uh, the soul that incites to evil. Um, it's uh, this it's, the no it's, it's known as the soul that incites to evil. Um, it's, it's when a person is seized by the clutches of Satan and is overly inclined to him. Uh, he continues to f to be in the control of Satan. Continues to do bad things. And then you have the second state. This is the, the the reproving self, the soul, which is a reproving self. This, in this state, a person feels shame and embarrassment for his ill actions and turns towards God, um, and turns towards goodness, turns towards piety, turns towards turns towards God ultimately. Uh, but this is always like a battle. This state is like a battle. At time, a person at times a person leans towards Satan. And at times it turns towards the person turns towards God, um, and when a person reaches this state where they turn towards God, and where they continue to remain attached to God, this becomes the third state, and this third state is known as nafse mutmainna. The first one was nafse amara, mm. the second is nafse lawama, yeah. the reproving self, and the third is nafse mutmainna. Uh, the soul at rest. Um, and the Promised Messiah has spoken on this, and he states that um, when the person reaches the stage where the soul is at rest, they become a part of that class of people who are known as the servants of the gracious God, like you mentioned, the saints. This rank is the highest point in contrast to which the lowest degree is that of the self which incites one to evil. Between this spectrum, there is a middle state known as the reproving self, which you mentioned, if a person leans, leans more towards the lower point, they are reduced to a state that is below and even inferior to animals. However, the more a person inclines towards the higher point, the closer they come to God, and such people are freed from the lower rudimentary states and they partake of higher heavenly grace. They feel that attachment, that relationship, that connection with God. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Uh, you know, one question comes up: If we, some, there are people who do not believe in religion; they don't believe in God. And if they are purifying their souls, what happens to their souls then? So this is again a very important question. Um, 
and uh, the, the Promised Messiah has spoken on this as well in, in a number of places as well. Mm. But essentially, the, every person has moral conditions. Mm-hmm. Those moral conditions are innate in a man's in in a person in a child as well. Like we mentioned, a child is born innocent. A child is born sinless. A child is born to do good. Although it doesn't know that it's doing good, it doesn't know what bad is. It doesn't know what evil things are. And the more, when you grow up, you you are able to identify what is right and what is wrong. Um, that, for example, when a child lies for the first time or, or does a sin for the first time, you feel that you feel that stain. You feel that pinch in your heart. You feel that burden on your shoulders that you've done something which is grave, something which is wrong, something which you'll be accountable for. But the more a person goes down this route and continues to do bad things, continues to lie, continues to do immoral things, then you become, uh, in a way, desensitized to it. It becomes normal for you. You don't feel the pain. You don't feel like you're doing anything wrong because because it becomes a normal state. Mm -hmm. So, So the Promised Messiah states that so long as the natural conditions of man are not converted into moral conditions, man deserves no praise, inasmuch as they are to be found in other animates and, and even in solids also. In the same way, the mere acquisition of moral qualities does not bestow spiritual life upon a person. A person who, de- who denies the existence of God can yet exhibit good moral qualities, such as to be humble of heart, to seek peace, to discard evil and not to resist the evil monger. These are all natural conditions which may be possessed even by an unworthy one who is utterly unacquainted with the fountainhead of salvation and enjoys no part of it. Even so much as animals, he states, they can be trained to be good, to be, to be, to be, to be, uh, to have good actions, to have good deeds. Um, but we can't call them human. Um, and so humans have that high status. So with regards to your question where a person who, if you do not believe in, in religion, your soul will still be accountable. Your soul will still be judged on what you do, whether it's right or wrong. And that is when a person will uh, ultimately, in the next life, that person will, will, will face that. Yes, he might not believe in, the, in this mm-hmm. life, uh, which is unfortunate, um, but your natural state when a person first sins, first commits a crime, first does something which is extremely wrong or grave or, or, or a, a vice or a sin, you feel that pain, you feel that you've done something wrong. You feel like you can't, you can't hide yourself away from it. That is that God-given quality within that person, mm. that this is something you've done which is against the... The, the your your moral state your natural state mm. there is an impact what you do uh, it will be you know reflected on your soul uh, to um, move on to the next question if souls are set up for evolving and progressing is it possible for the process or progress of a soul to regress yes yes exactly i think like i mentioned before um the soul it, it, you have those three states mm. Um, you have a soul, the, the state where you continue to do evil things, bad things, mm. and you don't feel like you're doing anything wrong because you're so used to those things. Mm. That's the that's the lowest yeah. state. And then you have the middle state. That's like the scale. Um, 
And this is where sometimes you do good, bad things and you feel embarrassment, you feel shame, you feel like you've done something wrong and you try to be good. And sometimes you do good things and you feel even better. Um, so that scale sometimes tips back and forth. Sometimes you go low to a lower state. Sometimes you go to a higher state. Uh, and then the third state is when you come to the higher state where you continue to, you, you're able to control your state. You're able to control your condition. You're able to control your emotions and feelings or your actions, your emotions and actions yeah. in the way that you will not allow yourself to be um, subdued to the lower state and continue to do bad things. Yeah. You, you try and always feel that connection of God Almighty because you're continuously doing good and pious deeds. So that's when this soul is, 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 is in a state of rest. Brilliant. Because it's in a state of comfort and peace. Okay, well, thank you very much, Mudabidai uh, Khalid. It was absolutely brilliant, actually. Really well explained. Oh. Took your time. And I think our listeners will really benefit from that. It's just um, always time catches up with us whenever we, you know, do a show like this and with such, you know, importance. So I'd yeah. love to talk to you again when we discuss this subject again. But uh, we'll, um, we'll thank you again for your time at the Drive Time Show today. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, that was Murabi Dahir Khalidzab. Brilliant. One of the things that if we had time, we just wanted to speak to our next guest, but I want to just quickly ask you, you know, when we talk about this higher state, who are those type of individuals? Are they like Prophet Muhammad, for example, uh, Noah, has it uh, Jesus Christ? Are there other people as well on the similar ilk? Can people get there? Yeah, is, I, is it easy? I, I got your question, you know? Yeah. One thing we need to understand, there's no end to it. Yeah. Well. You know, if we put an end, you know, as we the last question we asked the you know, Imam Tahir, yeah. has to be a progress. Yeah. You cannot stop on one. You know, the, the, the progression is, 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 is there in our, in our daily life or in for the soul as well. There was a question asked by, you know, the Khalifa, the second Khalif, somebody asked him, you know, if somebody is uh, on the boat and if there is an end to the sea, shall he get off? And Hazur, you know, the, His Holiness understood what he meant. And, you know, though His Holiness replied, there is no end to it. Yeah. You know, you'll keep going. And as you mentioned, the different stages, a person who is on a higher rank, and of course there, there, there's a way to pro, there, there's a way to progress, and we, you know, believe that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he was in such a state that nobody can, you know, can beyond him, and he was so dear to God Almighty. Of course there was other prophets and his godly, you know, godly people, they were dear to God Almighty as well, yeah. but the ultimate place, you know, a rank, it is with the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. As we have our next guest, but I would like to mention one thing, you know, we are discussing about the soul, we discussed about the purifying the soul. But one thing we also need to discuss that how one can purify himself. You know, this is very important and definitely we will discuss this. There are the fundamental things which, you know, you need to purify yourself uh, with. But I would like to specifically mention regarding, uh, you know, uh, where... The Khalifatul Masih II, the second Khalif of Ahmadiyya Muslim Association, has mentioned in detail in uh, one of his, uh, you know, speech uh, he given regarding that how one can purify himself and how one uh, can, you know, 
basically uh, find the way to work on his soul. You know, we work on our body, we try to go to the gym, we try to do different kind of exercise, having good food. The main thing are there. But on the other side, do you nourish our soul? What are the ways, what we need to do, and what kind of, you know, routine we need to make? You know, apart from the daily five prayers and, you know, waking up for the early prayer, you know, at night and worshipping God Almighty and uh, uh, reading and reciting the Holy Quran and pondering over it. I would like to go through the <clears throat> 11 ways to purify the soul. He says the first requirement to purify the soul is that one continues to remove all evil yeah. and impure thoughts from the heart. To clean the heart is very important to, you know, to purify your soul. As the, the fourth caliph has mentioned one thing I would like to add over here. He said, if you want God to be revealed on your heart, on your soul, or on your heart specifically is mentioned, they, you have to clean the heart first. The same way if farmer wants to, you know, sow something in the field, he has to clean first. Yeah. He cannot you just go in the field and just throwing the seeds you know, within the land. He has to clean it first. Similarly, if you want God to be revealed on yourself and God to want to, if you want God to speak to you, you have to clean your soul. You have to clean your heart, that God, you know, can reveal Himself on your heart. So for that, as Zur has mentioned, the Khalifatul Masih, the second, the second Khalif, that the first requirement to purifying the soul is that one continues to remove. Uh, all evil and impure thought, uh, uh, impure thoughts from the heart. Second, you were saying once cannot, uh, you know, one cannot purify his soul until he abstain from all evils and perform virtue, uh, virtuous deeds. Thus, it is necessary that one gain complete knowledge of those deeds that God dislikes and likes. And it is very important, you know, we have to sit down. And of course, there are commandments which we should be doing. There are commandments we should not be doing. And we have to make a list of it and then we have to act accordingly. The Holy Quran guides us uh, on what is allowed yeah. and uh, you know what is prohibited. By the following such steps, one is moving towards the path of success. Uh, the promised Messiah, alayhi salam, peace be upon him, stated that if enjoyment and prohibitions are known, then one should strive to act upon them. For striving to act according to the correct means after knowing them is the sole formula for the success. Even if one stumbled in acting upon these means and one does not fully do so, he should still not abandon his efforts. Rather, he should continue striving for this shall serve to be a you know, cause for his future progress. So basically, you have to understand first to do anything in, in the world. You know, you can't really jump into anything. You have That's to right. think about it. You have to, you know take your measures that what you should be doing, what you should not be doing. If you go in a business, you have to see everything yeah. or anywhere in the world. Similarly, when we are purifying our souls, we have to understand that what are the ways, what God has, you know, prohibited us, what we should not be doing and what we should be doing. And of course, you know, we have to do regularly. This is not a matter of one day or two day uh, to become any person in, the, in this world. We go to nursery, then we go to, you know, different classes up to yeah. the, you know, GCSEs, A-level, then university. And then, you know, after 25, 30 years, then you become some, some something, okay? Similarly, if you want to become or if you want to find a God or, you know, purify yourself, it is continuous effort. It's not happen, you know, at you pray at night, you think, you know, God will speak to you. You have to put effort into it of course God can speak to you without even you are praying to God but you have to put effort the way we put in the in, in this very world the third thing he mentioned he said make good deeds a habit 
sometime you know a person is weak he does good deed and after a while you know he becomes lazy or you know he cannot uh, do the deed uh, which is with a good deed and uh, you know he suddenly goes away from that so good deeds you know may not come naturally at first however for success one should strive to do a good deed and then practice over time this deed would become a matter of habit and which is very necessary and we have to you know work on it and day and night to you know make that deed into a habit yeah. the fourth thing is mentioned that you must be consistent in performing good deeds allah the almighty declares and continues he says and continues worshiping thy lord till death comes to thee so the continuation is very necessary if somebody is doing for a few days and then become lazy what happens ultimately your effort your all effort will go into waste similarly if we are in this world we are doing something we have to do continuously if we do for a good 3 months and then we don't do it of course we will be back on the very same point where we started yeah, from it's like climbing a ladder exactly. once you've got one step of yeah. ladder you don't want to go down yes. you would keep it's going like a snake up. game yeah. you know the, yeah. <laughs> so you have to basically keep going up you have to be consistent you have to pay attention that what are you doing right what are you doing wrong yeah. and you should not be doing anything which brings you down on the same state you were before the you know the second caliph he stated that you know the entity that we desire to reach is not limited and we are traveling through such a river that is endless thus our examples is similar to a person who is traveling on a river for the purpose of reaching the source of that river unlike someone who travels from one bank of a river to another hence as god it is not limited our deeds must also not be limited in order to reach him if he were indeed limited then our prayers fast zakat and hajj would also be limited but because our god is not limited then how can our deeds be limited So as earlier pointed out the soul is created for unlimited and uh, progressive change thus uh, consistency and effort is key to success for bringing about endless change and affirmation the the, the fifth point uh, his holiness mentioned in the speech that you know keep righteous company very important thing if you are doing everything if you have not got the righteous company then what happens the purification you have brought to yourself you know you have start becoming a better person you end up with you know because of the you know bad company you cannot purify yourself even you can't become better person for both thing even in this world and in the hereafter the, you know the company of righteous people is very very necessary where you sit with them they, you know, they discuss about good things you know they give you motivation to how to become a better person or you know you sit with the righteous people who discuss about that how you can you know purify yourself how you can be nearer to god almighty and you know uh, one who believe if fear allah and you know god says that one who believe fear allah and be with truthful people and we have to find those people we have to you know sit with those people you have to have a you know uh, good relationship with those people where you learn something new from them and how you can purify yourself and how you can how, how you can become you know near to god almighty and for us you know in, in this day and age we have been blessed with the you know caliphate and we have the caliph who is here with in, in this very country where we can you know go to him you know meet him and of course we can listen to his sermons an entire you know which goes to entire world every friday where we can listen to him 
and uh, you know learn something new and you know find the way that how we can purify ourselves and how we can you know connect ourselves to god almighty uh if we move on to the sixth point to purify you know to how to purify yourself is the hazolness said that take account of your souls lest uh an account is taken from you has umar hold yourself accountable in this very life and the next we are accountable for our own deeds thus it is vital to remember that control and responsibility we have over our own lives and you know destinies if you think okay everything going to happen on its own it's nothing going to happen you have to take responsibility and you have to you're yourself accountable that what you're doing wrong what you're doing right you have to sit at night and ponder over it and think what you have done good what you have done wrong and you know try not to repeat yourself your mistakes in the next morning the seventh thing seventh point is reflect upon chronic injunctions to do good i've covered that already yeah you know uh, you have to basically go in detail and you know find that where what you need to do what you, you should not be doing then the eighth point is to be willing to accept your mistakes if you've done something wrong you know first of all you have to accept your mistake when you'll step you you know when you will accept your mistake of course ultimately you will go towards god you will pray to god and you will ask for forgiveness then if we <clears throat> discuss uh, the ninth point is bear uh, admonition with patience and tolerance Allah the Almighty says that when it is said to him, "Fear Allah," pride incites him to further sin. So hell, uh, he will shall be his sufficient reward, and surely it is an evil place of rest. So it is important to pay attention and try to take on board if someone points out something against you. Then tenth is do not lose hope. Hmm. In this very world, we see that people sometimes they lose hope. and if a person is is already you know is, is there's no hope then you can't do anything okay yeah, you need a purpose don't purpose, you don't exactly. keep going yeah. one thing you know i, I normally says my, to myself as well mm. you know in this entire world everything has a purpose we have pen has a purpose paper has a purpose you know a phone everything around us has a purpose there's nothing over the even the materialistic things there's there's nothing with 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 no purpose if we think of ourselves as a human being if we are not purifying our souls we are not paying attention to god and we do not know our purpose it is not possible at all because everything you know front of me there's a cup the the the, the tea cup has a purpose mm. everything has a purpose how is it possible that for us as human being there's no purpose for us and our purpose is mentioned in the you know uh, holy quran god almighty said that i have created you that you worship me and you know to 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 do good deeds Yeah, there are two things. One, you know, we are responsible towards that. We should take care of human beings. Yeah, so fulfill the rights yeah. of human being and the fulfill the rights of God Almighty. You know, helping people out as we were discussing about the, our first topic, Rwanda. Of course, to helping out people. And second thing, to you know, do whatever God has mentioned in the Holy Quran. And the last is who has meant the His Holiness has mentioned that consider every sin as a major. Do not think that this is something small. I can do backbiting. I can do this. I can do that. Yeah. Everything. You know, if you have to consider as a major sin, that's how you purify yourself. That's how you become dedicated to God Almighty. It's like those white lies. You know, exactly. every small white lie yeah. still should be considered. Yeah. Well, thanks for going through all of those, and I know you'd rush through them yeah. <laughs> at such speed. But obviously, we'll pick the subject up again because each one of those uh, require an in-depth yes, understanding. True. And we didn't get to finish asking my simple questions about about animal souls. We know that one. I really want to understand about soulmates. 
Is there any any truth on that? And maybe on the next show we'll we'll be able to uh, do that. And obviously, you know, we know now why we don't have much mm. information about Seoul because it's not being revealed to us. But look, in in the last minute, I just wanted to um, say one small thing from the fourth head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza mm. Dayat Hamad, Allah be pleased with him. And he stated that um, if we achieve a pure heart such a pure heart will be saved from the hell and in the words of the promised messiah may Allah be pleased with him fire it is no doubt but all such people will be saved from fire mm. who have true love of god in their hearts and one of the things that you know you talked about it's a journey and it never mm. ends and when you find the love of god that love is endless, right? Mm. It, it can go Indeed. on. You can love your partner, you can love your children, you can love your friends, but it hits. It's there is a limit mm. to it. However much you, know, you can love them, whatever you want to mm. love, but the love when you hit it, you get it. Mm. It's endless, and that's I think what you're trying to explain in all the eleven points. Well, thanks for that. And we again, <laughs> we've come to the top of the hour, and it just means you know if there's anything here that you. Um, Enjoyed, uh, interest you, by all means, get in touch uh, with us through the normal channels. And obviously, uh, forgive us for our shortcomings. Uh, if there's anything that we were unable to do, achieve. I just want to lastly say thank you to the producers. There's uh, Friyal Janud Nasir and uh, Buria Ahmed, who were responsible for the content of the show today. And obviously, Thanks, Nick. I really Thank enjoyed uh, spending a bit of time with you for two hours. Just flew by. And uh, the results to our poll is still the same, 80, uh, 80 to 20%. 20%. So, yeah, so the Rwanda deal, according to our listeners, is not good. But here's the 6 o'clock news.